0: Welcome to The New School.
1: What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode number 18 of the new school video podcast. If you're new to us, my name is Candace Carlton and I'm the head of advisor education and I'm joined by our CEO, Meg Carpenter. This is a really special episode because we're joined by Matthew Grishman and Jim Gebhardt, who are the co-creators and co-hosts of the financial sobriety podcast, you should totally check it out book. You should get it and soon to be released Ted talk. They're also the winners of the happy client category for the podcast awards that we hosted earlier this year in partnership with investment news. They believe that true wealth is about so much more than having a lot of money or having a lot of stuff. And that it's actually about being a hundred percent intentional with the three most intimate and complicated relationships in life, money, people, and self. Their authenticity the truth-telling, the vulnerability is palpable, will, I promise you, make you feel moved and give you the space to show up more authentically, at least. That's how I feel when I'm in their company. I think you're going to love this episode. Let's get started. So this is exciting episode for us because we've got Jim Gebhardt and Matt Grishman of the Financial Sobriety book, podcast, movement, winners of the Happy Client uh, category for the Advisor Podcast Awards. We're so excited to have you here. Congratulations. You do deserve that. I think we were super excited when we were going, our whole team was going through all the submissions for our podcast awards, and yours came up and started listening. We everyone started listening to it, because I don't know if anyone knows that, but our whole team was involved in the finalists, and we were really looking at it through the new school frame. So I know that's everything you're about, like pushing the boundaries, questioning conventional wisdom. But I think what really stood out for us was the level of vulnerability that you have consistently across the podcast. And we know uh, that that's really the essential ingredient to creating connection. Like as humans, like vulnerability is a thing because I can say, I see you, I suffer too, I understand. You've done such a tremendous job of really cultivating that. What advice would you give other advisors advisory firms that are trying to cultivate that same sense of trust and vulnerability within their teams their culture their firms and with clients how do you how do you do that
2: it's not it's not easy it it really isn't but it's it's all about mindset candace i mean first thank you for you know having us here today it's it's a lot of fun just to be here and have this kind of conversation because what Jim and I are really trying to do is, is open up this dialogue within the industry of kind of how we were both trained, which was you know buttoned up, pinstripe suits, white shirts, striped ties and image of strength, right? It, it was all about how smart you were, how knowledgeable you were and how financially astute you were and how perfect you were with all of that. And to shift the mindset of Gosh, I'm a human being and perhaps I should just be real with my clients and kind of open my kimono up a little bit and share with them some of the mistakes that I've made in life, especially when it comes to my relationship with money. It's amazing how much more attractive that's been, at least in our experience with our clients. I can't speak for everybody and every human being out there, but there was a moment about 10 years ago where I was sitting with my father in a hotel concierge lounge, there was something just gnawing at me about this image that I had created in the business all these years. There was something about, I just, I wanna be real with people. I'm sick and tired of this shower to showtime routine of putting my mask and my uniform on every day. I just wanna be me. I wanna show up to work in a t-shirt and shorts and flip flops and just be Matthew Grishman. I don't wanna be something that the industry expects me to be. And I shared with him that I think it's time for me to start telling clients the truth. And God bless dad, he looked at me and said, oh no, 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 don't do not do that, don't do that. Who, who's gonna give you their million dollars if they know what kind of a disaster you've been with money? And that was really all the validation I needed. Cause I'm I'm one of those guys that if there's a sign on the fence that says, don't climb the fence, I'm not just gonna climb the fence, but I'm throwing my hat over the fence because I need to be committed, right? I am going over that fence if you tell me not to. And that was really what it took and the mindset shifted. So I I would say to any advisor that's contemplating that has that same gnawing feeling about, I haven't been living my true self in front of my clients. It's a simple mindset shift. It takes some courage because there's risk, but, our experience has been the more vulnerable and real we've been, the more attractive we've been to clients coming in our door.
3: The very concept of new school, right? And just to echo what Matt said in the beginning, thank you so much for having us and having the podcast, award series. Uh, we're still kind of tickled uh, uh, mm-hmm. over the fact that we won the happy client category, but to the very concept of what the new school is about is Matthew's dad, who is a very forward-thinking guy was just caught up in old school thinking, right? Which is strength is what you lead with, not vulnerability. And obviously, I you know I, I couldn't agree more, more with what Matthew's saying because it, it does take courage. If you're another financial advisor that has, you know, been wearing a mask, as we like to say. And if you listen to the podcast enough, you'll hear us talk about that a lot. It's also a big chapter in the book, uh, Financial Sobriety. And it takes some courage. I mean, you got to you got to just realize that life is too short to play somebody else's ballgame. And so much of what I love about the other uh, episodes that I was listening to is when you're an independent financial advisor, you're like Tom Hanks in Castaway. You are sitting on a deserted island all by yourself. Half the time you're in the cave talking to Wilson. Then Wilson, you know, usually might talk back to you. Because you are so incredibly isolated. And you feel as though you need to have some, you know, false sense of bravado or some mask that you're supposed to wear that shows that shows your kind of your invincibility when it's actually the actual secret sauce to this whole thing is the more vulnerable and real you are, the more attractive
2: you're gonna be. Well, you, you always said that to me, brother. You, you've always said that it's almost like a little paradox that vulnerability is the new strength. The more real we become. I mean, I, I cry with my clients, right? There, there's, there's something about vulnerability and trust. There, there's a third ingredient. When we, when we talk about, in, in our world, the, the epicenter of wealth, mm-hmm. right? What, what truly is, what's it all about? And it's about human connection, right? Your happiness, your wealth is directly correlated to your ability to connect with human beings. And, and one of the things we like to teach our clients, our colleagues, our family, our children, our, our, our stakeholders here within the firm is that there really are three things that are key ingredients, three key critical steps to having that human connection. We've already talked about two of them being vulnerability and trust, but there's that piece of empathy that empathy is kind of how we get it started by really breathing in others' gas, really really taking in what they're sharing with us to the point that a client can come in and share an experience with me that I've never experienced before, but I'm so breathing in what they're telling me that I'm crying with them. And, and I don't know that my newer clients have ever had the experience of going to an advisor and opening themselves up and having that advisor in tears with them. Nothing that I could ever experience before, but I'm feeling their feelings feeling so much that I'm connecting on such a deep level and becoming vulnerable myself and, and sharing my experience with them. And the way that that has built trust, I mean, it's like this ultimate paradox in life where vulnerability, empathy is strength. It, it doesn't feel like that at first. And that's where the courage comes in, where, where you just have to have a little faith and a little bit of trust in in what what our experience is telling you
1: so much to say there but i'll start with this i think that you know the reason i asked you know how do you do it how what kind of support structures can you put in place is you have each other right so if you're feeling insecure about something or you know even i i think about meg and i in that paradox when we're speaking and i'm like oh i don't know if that went right like we can actually have a conversation about it and decide You know, when you talk about Tom Hanks on the island by himself, what kind of, like, what do you think is the important piece for that structure, for that support to feel like you're not just messy, vulnerable, and throwing things, uh, you know, at the wall and feeling Mm -hmm. like you're a wreck?
3: You got to have a couple of uh, accountability partners, whatever you want to call them, deep close friends in the business. maybe people you trained with at some point or you work with at some point where you, you feel as though you've got a connection, right? You've got a heart-based connection. Uh, and in that spirit of abundance, you know, there's plenty of business to go around. So let's not, let's not worry about, you know, I'm competing with you. You're competing with me Right. But before this guy showed up uh, a dear, dear friend of mine, Tim Smith, he's an advisor uh, down in Southern California. We trained together at Merrill Lynch a hundred years ago. We, we would go ping pong ideas back and forth with one another. And all you need is one. You, you, don't, you don't need a truckload. You need one. You need one person that understands who you are, what you're trying to accomplish, and can be a little bit of a sounding board. Uh, and, I mean, you know, this is my 25th year in the business. Tim and I, you know, look back at stuff and just, you know, laugh our heads off it what we were attempting to do or trying to do or tried to do or whatever. Um, you just need one. And the other powerful thing is videotape yourself, right? If you don't have anybody to, to bounce it off of, rehearse it and practice it in, in a video so that you can, like, a, like an athlete can, or a performer can watch, you know, watch the tape of how, how did they do? Right. And if you don't have that person yet while you're looking for them, uh, make your make your iPhone your friend.
2: Well, th- and this is what I appreciate about what you're doing here at FICOM and with the New School Podcast is you're creating that space. You're creating the environment for independent RIAs who perhaps initially went into being independent because they wanted to be out there on their own island by themselves. But after a while, that instinctual human part of being part of a pack, being part of a tribe. Is is what's kind of eating at them. I know that's been the case for both Jim and me. So I, I would say the the it's it's a necessity to have somebody, to have a tribe, to have people to be with and share with in in the spirit of abundance, where it's not about competition, but it's all about all of us getting better and feeling a part of and being connected to. And and so I'm incredibly grateful to both you and Meg for creating what you've created, which brings independent. People like us together to speak, to get to know one another, to help one another, to support one another, and to teach each other how to engage that muscle of empathy, how to be vulnerable with clients, and ultimately how to build trust that lives a lifetime. I mean, that's this guy here in the bottom corner. That's his unique ability. And it, it's something I've been so incredibly blessed to be exposed to. It's, it's something I watched him do early on in the very beginning of our relationship when I was calling on him as a wholesaler in our business carrying the bag, I, I would watch things with clients that he would bring in for us to meet together. And within 45 minutes to an hour, I was blown away at how these complete strangers were, you know, all in 45 minutes to an hour into a conversation. You know, how is this guy creating trust like that? What is he doing?
3: Fairy dust. Right. <laughs> Besides the fairy dust.
2: Was fairy dust. I'd sprinkle it around the room before the clients would come in. Well, and it's invisible. I you know, I would have expected to see glitter all over your face, but that, that was never there. It was so interesting to me that we started studying it. And, and I started sitting back as an observer in client meetings at what was Jim actually doing to create that trust instantly? And then what was happening over longer periods of time that allowed him to maintain that trust? It was so profound to me that it became an entire chapter in the book, Financial Sobriety that I wrote. Because I think it's so key, again, if we define the epicenter of wealth as being our ability to connect with human beings, then I would say trust and maintaining trust is probably pretty important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the most fulfilling parts of my day and you know, weeks and months and years that make up my professional experience at FICOM is watching advisors like the two of you come together and open themselves up and be vulnerable and share experiences. And I'm always so struck by the feedback that we receive from our advisor education, which Candace leads our cohort-based workshops. The value, the number one value that advisors get from our workshops, which are very robust and you have expert coaches and wonderful curriculums and they're learning, and they're doing, and there's accountability, and there's so many things. And it's the peer-to-peer experience sharing from the other advisors within those cohorts that's the most powerful, and it's so fulfilling for me to watch that and experience that. And that's why our Advisor Podcast Awards were so meaningful, because it was like we were exposed to people like the two of you that are also doing the same thing, and sharing the same message, and opening yourselves up, and I know that if an advisor calls either of you, you're willing to have that conversation with them.
2: Absolutely. 100%.
0: That is so cool. And so, Matthew, I have been so moved by your story. And for those of you, our listeners, if you haven't read Financial Sobriety, if you haven't listened to Matthew and Jim's podcast, please do start with episode number one, where Matthew really goes deep into his personal story which we won't have time to fully get into today, but you had like a really big, huge moment in your life that was completely transformational, but it felt like to me, like it like knocked you awake, you know? And it was like, what is going on? And in that moment, like you decided to make a change. Yeah. You decided to take off the mask, to not be that person anymore. And what an awesome opportunity you know you might not have seen it like that in the moment but like what an awesome opportunity for you yeah but jim like what how did you get to have this unique ability like you don't often find advisors who have been in the business for 25 years who are so willing to just bear it all and have that vulnerability i mean did you have a transformational moment or was it absolutely Mm -hmm.
3: yeah
2: uh, do you guys remember 2008? Yeah. What happened? Wait, what happened in 2008? I, I don't. I don't remember. I was
1: crying under my desk in those days. I worked <laughs> in the trade department.
3: <laughs> there you go. I mean, my, my similar, uh, you know, watershed moment was uh, in 2007. We had scraped the idea of uh, tearing down a house and remodeling it and bought a different house. Well, we bought it uh, on a non-contingent basis. And in the fall of 07, the bond market started to freeze up. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: We had trouble selling that house. January, February of of 2008, uh, my wife and I are going to bed one night. And I said, hey, honey, I got a funny story I want to tell you. And she's like, oh, I got a funny story for you, too. Well, uh, I can't remember my funny story all these years later. Uh, And uh, Grant, our fourth child, uh, was her funny story. (laughs) So uh, we were were not expecting to have more kids. Now we're having a baby that's due uh, the middle of September, and if you rewind the tape and you look back at uh, September 14th, AIG, Lehman, and Merrill all went under that day. We had owned two houses for 51 weeks. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm supposed to have my shit together. Uh, the market starts to go into the ground. We have a baby born four days later. And I didn't, I I mean, I I would lie awake at night going, okay, come on, take me. I got lots of life insurance because I didn't know how I was gonna get through it. I, I felt like a sham. Hmm. My financial life was an absolute mess. Hmm. Baby number four, holy smokes, that's a lot of that's a lot of responsibility. Oh, oh, and by the way, I was just a little three year old independent financial advisor at that point. And we're going on a 45 degree angle right into the ground. So that, yeah, that was that was my watershed moment of I, I honestly, I did not know how I was going to get through it. Uh, my dear, dear friend, Glenn, uh, who happens to be a CPA who happened to have a similar situation with real estate in 08. We, we would just commiserate and we used to we used to joke about going down to Ace Hardware and just, you know, when we when we uh, bend the shovel of digging ourselves out of whatever hole we were in, we were going to go you know just run down to Ace Hardware and get another shovel and just keep digging. Right. Just dig yourself out of this thing. And I think that vulnerability and and stories like that, because we all have them, we all have them. Yes, uh, they don't have to be uh you know so dramatic or so heroic but there there is generally something in an independent financial advisor's life Mm
1: -hmm.
3: that has driven them in this direction right because let's face it this is a challenging job uh and there are all kinds of roadblocks and impediments and changes and market conditions and la 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 but um if you can go back and you can anchor on that story, and you know, it, it takes a while. I mean, think of think of how long it took Matthew to tell that short story and, that the book is all about, and the shame that goes with that, and the shame that I felt in, 0, in 08 and 09, and frankly, 2010, uh, where it's like, wow, what the hell happened? You just persevere. I mean, you just, <laughs> you just, You just can't stop. You got to keep going.
0: And in that moment, did you make a conscious decision to say, like, I'm going to let my guard down? I'm going to share my story. I'm going to use this feeling, the shame that I'm carrying. I'm going to use that to transform my client relationships or was it more of an evolution?
3: That's a great that's a great uh, that's a great question. Um, It's a yes, but it wasn't right away. It wasn't it wasn't until several years later kind of you know after the storm and the dust settled and we got our legs back underneath us and uh ironically 2008 was the best year i ever had in business uh when i went back and looked at it but in the middle of the triage i i didn't know that um but it was it was several years later before i started to realize okay there's there's a there's a heck of a story there uh and then you know this guy comes along and Shows me what it's like to have the courage to tell that story and write a book about it.
2: Tell me, Jim. I mean, I I think you would agree because this is what's happening. What, What happens when you and I tell our stories, it's almost like we create this container for our clients, this really, really safe container. I mean, how many times have I shared with you that when a client comes in this office and the door is shut, they say things and do things that they've never shared with another human being before. I mean, they're people who would never say anything uh, like a cuss word out loud or dropping F-bombs in my office with the door closed. Because I think when you and I tell our our personal stories that <clears throat> at a point in time were really painful to tell, it creates this very safe container for people to start experimenting with their own pain points in life and, and really start thinking about new ways of, you know, everything we talk about with relationship with money, new ways to think about their wealth, new ways to think about their relationships, new ways to think about that person that's looking at themselves in the mirror every day. I mean, by by being vulnerable like that, by doing it in person, by doing it on our podcast, by doing it here today, in effect, we're creating a container for anybody who's joining us in the new school conversation today to start exploring some new school possibilities that get them out of that old school thinking just by being real. It, it creates is, a container, a safety spot.
3: It is very freeing. And what what I've somewhat uh, jokingly said with Matthew is that if we were to rename our wealth management firm, it would be Sanctuary Wealth Management, right? Yeah. Because we live in a time and a place where everything other than in 2020 Everything is super fast paced. We are constantly bombarded. We are overwhelmed with information, with opportunity, with this and that. And when I've always wanted our offices to be sanctuary where you don't really, the client doesn't really want to leave. And they, once they start to feel comfortable that way, then for for a lot of clients, that vulnerability muscle, uh isn't necessarily something they've rehearsed or practiced very much and once they start to feel safe and comfortable they can they can open up a little bit and they can start to share a little bit of what's in here not what's in here right what's in the heart not in the head and that's when the progress happens that's when that's when the magic starts
1: so i think what's really interesting here is we're really talking about the human experience right and we're talking about the human condition the ups and downs the trials and tribulations the path of self-discovery should you choose to take it because you can't bear the restrictions of what is required to maintain a mosque, like a persona, right? But what's new about it, and I think why we have the New School podcast and why we're so moved by you is it really hasn't existed within the realm of money, right? That was really like a separate, this is like more like, you know, historically self-helpy. I remember when there was a small section in the in, uh, bookstores that was like self-help. And now it's like, that is all the business books, right? Like it's all the, like, the leadership books. It's like all of this, because what we've come to discover is when we're in alignment with our truth, with who we are, our words have more resonance, right? So we can affect change in a way that we've never been able to affect. And when we're working with some advisors, you know, the the concept of just even not, and I'm not talking about being super vulnerable the way you are, but just being themselves, for example, on social media is really intimidating because they feel like, no, people come to me for my expertise. You know, They're not really coming to me for me. And I love how, I think it was one of your podcast episodes because we feel this way about social media. You said money. It's just a tool. Like that's what we believe too. And it's like a hammer. And I think the the metaphor that you use, like you can murder someone with the hammer, or you can like build something with the hammer. So talk about that in the context of why this idea why you believe this concept of vulnerability and essentially just being human was missing for money and why, like I think you'd started to go there. Like money is this highly emotional thing. We know yes. this from behavioral economics. We know we don't make rational decisions and still yet the mass majority thinking around it is that it's about the numbers, it's about the spreadsheets, and that's how you get people to what we consider financial, I don't know if you could say freedom, maybe like security.
2: Yeah, it well, it, it was kind of the confluence of two things to answer your question and, and a great question and point is is how did this all kind of come up for us? Before I was living this life, doing what I'm doing, I spent 17 years on the wholesale side of our industry, calling on financial advisors. Jim was one of those financial advisors. And there was something that I was noticing. First of all, our business is loaded with really great people. It really is, honest, ethical, hardworking people that really care about their clients. There was a common theme that I saw over and over, because when I think back to those 17 years of visiting one on one with financial advisors, Jim and I were doing the math not all that long ago. I've (laughs) I've spent time one on one with somewhere around 10,000 financial advisors across the country. And I've probably worked intimately with somewhere between a thousand and two thousand of them. I was a a national spokesperson for one of those firms that I work with. So I got to spend a lot of time out on the road visiting with advisors. And even when I saw what the very best of the business were doing differently from kind of the the pack, there was always this human element that was missing. It was was very much about hire me for my knowledge, my expertise. Uh, It was about dollars and percentages. Uh, It was about Monte Carlo simulations. And and I never felt like it just, it felt like there was something missing, right? Like somebody would come into the office, I wanna retire at 65 years old. And we were really good as an industry at helping somebody figure out whether they were financially prepared and what they needed to do if they weren't. But then there was this whole additional asset that somebody had that never seemed to be part of the conversation. And that was, okay, you've got enough money for the next 30 years but what are you gonna do with your time?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and what does that look like? And that, that just got me really, really curious. Then of course I had my train wreck of, of a year in 2005 and several relapses since then. What I started to realize was I was chasing money my whole life. I had this dysfunctional relationship with money because if I made lots of money, I could take care of my people. And if I took care of my people, specifically my wife, Amy, who never asked me for this, she's the most selfless giving, beautiful, wonderful human being in the world. I had it in my head that I needed to do this for her. Then if I took care of her financially and give her had given her everything she needed, then she'd actually tell me I was a good person. Mm-hmm. And that, and only then could I ever feel that. If you told me that, Candace, Meg, Jim, If you said, Matt's a good guy, then I would believe it. I could never organically develop that myself. Mm -hmm. What I realized was I, I had these three very complicated relationships in my life. My relationship with money, my relationship with people, and my relationship with self. And never in a million years would you think these three relationships go together, but holy cow, They are so intertwined with one another that when my relationship with money got pretty dysfunctional, it had a spillover effect into those other relationships to the point where I almost wrecked my marriage with Amy. And I almost drove head on into a semi truck because I wanted to take my own life at some point at at, at a point in time back in 2005. So whenever we see some dysfunction in one of those three very complicated relationships, it's gonna affect the others. Now, because we have the years we have in the money business, let's start the conversation at a very surface level on this relationship with money. But ultimately what we find is some of the challenges people have, for example, have you ever met anybody who's looked at their bank statement at the end of the month and went, where'd all my money go? What if I told you the solution to that problem has nothing to do with getting your financial house in order? It has nothing to do with spreadsheets. It has nothing to do with budgeting. Those are all just Band-Aids, right? Those are things that Jim and I will do with a client in what we call triage mode in our planning process, right? They're bleeding out, let's put a Band-Aid on it. But ultimately we've got to get down to bone level and really understand what it is that's going on that's creating this behavior, that there's so much unintentional spending going on in somebody's life that it's just mindless and happening over and over and over, no matter how well they get their financial house in order. I had gotten my financial house in order a gazillion times. I'm gonna do it right this time. But yet I found myself in the same place over and over and over. Where the hell did all my money go? And, and what was amazing was to realize that the solution was actually about that relationship I had with myself, with the man in the mirror, and learning how to create unconditional love for that person, despite the imperfections and expectations that I had for myself. I mean, mind-blowing moment for me.
1: Well that's what I was just about to say. I mean, it's relationship with money, relationship with others, and relationship with self, but ultimately is there, I you know, the way I see it is there's only one relationship, and it's the relationship with self. You can't be any better to anyone than you are to yourself.
2: Yes, I mean, how, how can I give Jim unconditional love if I can't give it to myself, right? How can I be super intentional with my finances if I can't unconditionally love myself and others? So, I mean, and this is what Jim helped me do in 2005. He wasn't aware of this, but he's like, hey, let's flip those relationships around. And if you can learn how to have unconditional love for yourself, then you can actually take care of your people the way they need to be taken care of. And guess what happens to the relationship with money? It gets a lot simpler. <laughs> it gets a lot easier. And
3: where those, where those relapses happen is you still don't have that relationship with self figured out, yeah. right? And you don't have to go it alone. There are many talented, wonderful therapists in this world that can help unpack some of that stuff. And we're certainly not... Qualified or licensed to do that, but
2: but you did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night.
3: That's true. That's true. Exactly. Uh, so I mean, that 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 have no shame around the relapse because you're you're making progress. You're getting you're getting. I mean, I'm working with a, a family member right now who is struggling with debt and struggling with spending, and there's a lot of emotional issues that are are seeping their way into the money conversation and the money behaviors and any progress when you're when you're trying to right the ship on this any progress is fantastic and one of our big you know kind of sticking points with uh, with clients and with our kids and our and our colleagues is you got to measure progress in arrears you got you got to look back at from what you've come um, and if you know if we if we pick on Matthew and we look at the the journey that he's been on since 2005 it's just absolutely extraordinary
0: And then the journey that we are all on to have better relationships with ourselves is con- it's a constant journey like you don't solve it you don't get to the top of the mountain and, and celebrate <laughs> there's certainly moments where you can and you should celebrate but it's a constant, journey. It's a constant commitment. And one of the things that I love so much about what both of you are doing with the Financial Sobriety podcast is you're demonstrating to the industry a more human and real and authentic way to connect with people who I would assume are a mix of clients, potential prospects, and also people that just need, they need you like they need the space that you've created. And the guests that you have on your show are so phenomenal. And the topics that you cover are so meaningful. And I love that you're demonstrating that it doesn't have to be so black and white or so linear in how you present yourselves to the market, because typically, advisors when we talk about content you know you have to be creating really great content in order to be out there in front of people and to create connection and so we'll talk about themes and topics and you know we hear nine out of ten times the same things you know we want to talk about the markets we want to talk about estate planning charitable planning legacy planning at the end of the year we all want to talk about rmds like you know but that's very difficult for a potential buyer to connect with but there is Candace to use your word, it's intimidating and there's a hesitancy to say, well, I'm going to talk about mental health, which you guys did really meaningful content during Mental Health Awareness Month. That really has not for most people like we know, but for most people, there's not a direct connection between talking about mental health awareness and how you two actually make money as financial advisors. So talk to us a little bit about how that has transformed your ability to grow your business because of how you've opened yourselves up and shared yourselves with the world. Like you've used the word, you're more attractive, but for advisors that might think I've got to be talking about these topics, because that's what I do. And that's what I get paid for. Like how can you help those advisors understand the power of doing it the way you're doing it?
3: And that, and that last, comment, Meg, is, is old school thinking, right? It's I have to talk about RMDs. I have to talk about what went on in the market yesterday. And we will we will sprinkle that in on occasion. But so much of what uh, we're about is that is that concept of, the, of human connection. And there there have been clients that have found us as a result of the podcast. And let me be really clear, we didn't do the podcast. We didn't create the podcast for new business. We created it because we wanted to have more impact and we realized that as solopreneurs, right, as a as a, as a duo, there's only so many families we're gonna be able to sit with and consult with on an ongoing basis, right? And we both have a real burning desire to want to have more impact in the industry, whether it's at the advisor level uh, or whether it's at the, at the individual client level. Uh, but we have attracted clients from the podcast, and and it's to the very points that we've been talking on the on the show today, that it's a level of vulnerability that they're just so. It's like milk and cookies and slippers and jammies. I mean, it's just you just you're like I didn't know I could have that with a, a financial advisor, uh, and partner, you can you can tack onto that, but that that's that's really been the key to it.
2: Jim's always wanted to do a podcast. We've been talking about this for the longest of times. It just happened to work out that I wrote this book, Financial Sobriety, and it gave us some real meat to get out there and do a podcast. We we met somebody here locally who was a local anchor uh, for, for the evening news on ABC here in town. And I was sitting with her just asking, you know, how can we have the most amount of impact possibly with this book? And she said, look, what what happens after you read the book? if people want more, right? You have limited capacity in your practice to work one-on-one, but what if I go on Amazon, I buy the book, I pay my $18, I read the book and I want more of you and Jim, what do I do? Uh, You could read the book again? And she said, yeah, that's, that's not a good enough answer. My suggestion is you take what you do in your practice, you take the principles from the book Financial Sobriety and create a curriculum that you can literally just give away, give a DIY version of what you do away to the world in this spirit of abundance. And boom, the idea of, well, gosh, let's get in a studio and, and let's do this via podcast. Let's start with a podcast and just give our content away. And, and what we've done is we, we talk on the show about the experiences and what we do with clients here in our office purely for the, the benefit of having a greater impact on the world. There, there's this thing that we both decided a long time ago made a lot of sense. And it's to eliminate the lines between home gym, work gym, uh, swim deck gym, when you'd go to the kids' swim meets, right? There, there, there were all these versions of me that would show up and, and we just decided let's have the real person show up. So Jim and I just show up every day and this is part of our life, whether we're talking on a podcast like this, we're sitting in here with a friend, and we're just we're showing up living our lives listening and sharing about things we're very passionate about and sometimes that pays us money sometimes it doesn't but there's a fulfillment that happens i mean the the years that i've made the most money i've ever made in this business were some of the most miserable years i've ever had in my life mm-hmm. I'm, if I were to look at where I am on the financial scale personally right now, you know, I've been at the very, very top of the financial food chain. I've also been at the very bottom. I'm probably somewhere in the middle right now. I don't make nearly the kind of money. I I don't bring in the kind of money and put in my bank account every month, the kind of money I did 10 or 15 years ago, but I feel wealthier than I've ever felt in my life because of this congruency of how I show up every day, how I know I'm having impact on people's lives and just what that feels like. Like I matter, I'm helpful, I'm useful. I'm doing work that's far beyond anything I'm capable of on a life run on total self-will, right? I've just, I feel like I'm part of something much bigger than myself and there's a fulfillment in that, that if today's my last day on earth, I feel pretty good about what I've left. And, and part of the key to that is truly waking up every morning like it is my last day on earth and, and how am I going to leave it all on the field today? How am I going to be useful? Please, whatever you are out there that's in charge of this whole universe, put people in my path that I can be helpful towards. And and having that attitude and that approach to life has been game changer for us. It's
1: such an honor to have you on. You have moved us. I don't know if you ever know, but when Meg and I launched the podcast, it was an idea and we were like. Is it going to work we don't know are people going to come on we don't know are they going to listen but it was something we felt we were moved by that we that we were in wanting to create something with that same sense of abundance and fulfillment and i think We have just been radically moved by every single one of our guests. We're huge fans of theirs. We love the work that they're doing. So thank you for being here. Thank you for submitting to the Advisor Podcast Awards. It was just such a delight and an honor to have you and to have you as winners. Uh, We close out, we ask all of our guests, and I know you'll have phenomenal answers. You've talked about it already through this whole episode, but what does the new school mean to each one of you?
3: The New School is the uh, the breath of fresh air I've been looking for in our industry for a long time. Um, we, we need courageous folks like you to be out there forging kind of new territory and giving us a platform, those of us on our little islands, right, uh, to anchor to. And to listen to the guests that you bring on the show and the thoughtfulness and the thought leaders they are in their space in this industry, God bless you, because we need more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of wonderful things about this industry, uh, but so many of them are, are cast in concrete that need to be broken up and remodeled. And so much of what you're doing here, I think, speaks to that. And that just, that excites me at a, at a molecular level.
2: New school is all about creating a community through attraction rather than promotion. Mm-hmm. Old school is let's go out and prospect. New school is all about being the flower instead of the honeybee. It's about showing up as you are. It's about vulnerability. Vulnerability is the new strength, being who you are, making sure everybody in your community knows who you are without ever prospecting them. And it's amazing what happens, the people you attract by being the flower. That's new school to us.
0: Jim and Matthew, thank you so much for being here. I know people will be as moved as Candace and I are and have been. I feel so honored to have had both of you come into our lives through the Advisor Podcast Awards. Where can people find you?
3: Uh, Generally here at the office, no. (laughs) Uh, It's not
2: by (laughs) any time.
3: so you can find us through uh, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Uh, all the major podcast platforms uh, are playing Financial Sobriety. Uh, we've got 42, 43 episodes now. Uh, gebhardgroupinc.com uh, is our wealth management practice. You can find us there as well. We're gonna have a YouTube channel uh, coming out with Financial Sobriety here in probably another month or so. Uh, and we're planning to do actually some some live and kind of hybrid events. Uh, later this year. So, stay social tuned for media. That. Social yeah, so, media, social yep.
2: media. We we uh, we go by our our names. You can find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Jim Gebhart, Matthew Grishman, and there's this really cool thing called the telephone. That we still like to use and connect with. So we have a telephone here in the office. And anybody who would like to have a conversation, call us. It's a toll free number, eight seven seven two eight three. Ninety-one fifty. We love having phone conversations. In fact, this guy has been known to talk to a wrong number for three days in a row. So <laughs> call us. We, we'd love to chat. Hey, well, the right now. Look at that.
1: <laughs> thank you for coming on. We're going to look out for those events because we'd love to attend. Thank you so much, Jim thank, Matthew. Thank much. Absolute pleasure. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you very much.